I want to thank the uh, youth. We had a number of youth in our service today leading. And so would you would you give them a hand? I mean, just... I'm, I'm so grateful for so many, uh, for Becca who leads our youth ministry and for the work she's doing and volunteers that we have for the way that we have um, Taylor and Lily who are involved in that with them in worship and, and lead their worship. And, and I just am grateful for the... Uh, Many people who make that a, a reality and then for what we see God doing in their lives. That's a wonderful thing. You know, as you listen to that last song, uh, it, it talks about this idea of going into the unknown and, and, and moving into a place where you grab hold by faith and trust. And Paul, as we look at this message that we're going to look at the continued story of Paul, was all about holding the hand of God, the author, and uh, Jesus, the one who is the creator of his life. And um, you get this picture of him as he has gone into Jerusalem, and he's accused of doing something wrong there, breaking the law. There's a riot that stirs. They're about to kill him, tear him apart. And the Roman commander intervenes, steps in, brings him back, Asked him what's going on, about to torture him to the point of, of death because he was going to use torture as a way of getting the truth because he couldn't understand what was causing the fact that they wanted to rip this guy apart. And, and so he's about to do it and Paul says, I'm a Roman citizen. The guy gets afraid. He goes, how did you, how much did your Roman citizenship cost? And he says, I wasn't, it wasn't something I paid for. It's actually something I was born with. And that changed everything. And Paul um, was given one more chance by the Roman commander to go out there to figure out what's going on. And he gets pulled back in again because they want to rip him apart. They want to kill him. And, and this Roman commander realizes there's something that's going on that's not about Rome, but it's more about this faction among the Sadducee, um, their supreme court between Pharisees and the um, Sanhedrin and between Pharisees and Sadducees. And so you get this picture of Paul and, it, and you get to this place in Acts chapter 23, verse 11. And in this verse, you see Jesus standing beside Paul, appearing to him. And he says, be encouraged, or the, the, the word take courage. Because Paul was at a point of unknown not sure what's going to happen next. And he says, Paul, just as you have been a witness to me here in Jerusalem, you must preach the good news in Rome as well. And as you get this picture, you see this picture of, of um, Jesus standing there uh, saying, in a sense, be confident. He's breathing confidence into him. That the God, the author of his life, is kind of writing a story. And he, he is in God's hand. When I was a kid, I uh, remember watching um, these shows, dramas and adventure shows, you know, like a Mission Impossible, remember that? Or the first Hawaii Five-O show. And I remember as a kid just getting nervous that the the star of the show would be in this predicament and I was a young kid would think the guy's going to die until I got older and I realized you know what he's the star of the show there's an author writing this 
He's not going to be X'd out, right? Until that author decides. And it gave me a picture into the understanding of, of how we are to live with God. He is the author of your life, and your life is unique, and he has a work for you to do. He has a way that he wants you to live, and he has a way that you want. he wants you to connect with other people. He has something you and you alone can do, and he wants you to live in the confidence of his love for you every day. He wants you to live in the reality of that. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we open our hearts to you. We ask that you would speak to us, that we would live confidently in what you've called us to do. In Christ's name, amen. I want to share with you just before I get going, um, and I, I got your attention, November 14th, right after the service, we will have a congregational meeting, and we've been looking at resets. One of the things we'll be doing in this congregational meeting is we'll be voting for one of the leadership board members, so we would love for you to be there to vote. While saying that, I should say at the same time, many of you know that we have a lot of local elections, and one of the great responsibilities we have is to, uh, a civic responsibility, right? The civil, one of the ways we've been talking about, even talked about last week, is how we treat people. We are called to responsibly engage in these elections, but to do so with great civility, great graciousness, and great honor, and, and great privilege. So I encourage you to be a part of that in this coming week. What I want you to notice is I just had talked about the fact that that Paul is in this place of recognizing that that God the Father, as Jesus stands before him, is the author of his life and God has something for him to do. I used to, and I still do at times, I'll get onto an airplane and I will see sometimes people, you know, they'll grab their spouse's hand or, you know, they'll grab someone's hand next to you. You know, they're afraid as the airplane starts to take off. I, I so often I just go, you know, I, God, I don't need to be afraid because you know exactly when it's going to be. And I think you still have stuff for me to do. And yet I'm in your hands. There's a reality of understanding God loves you and has created you in such a unique way that he has something for you to do as a person, as a couple, as a family, a business you may be running or in the business you're involved in, in the school as a, as a kid or in a team that you're a part of with a coach. You have something to contribute there that God wants to do through you. And so what I think is interesting, here Paul, he is sitting there in this jail, Jesus appears to him, and what what you have to get is this picture of, is fast forward now two years, almost two to three years, now Paul is in prison in Rome. And he writes to a church in Philippi. In chapter 1, verse 6, he says to this group of people, I want you to learn something that I learned and I know. And I am certain that God, who has began a good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Jesus Christ returns. The primary lesson today is if you're placing your hand in God's hand, and I just want to say this too, even as you are a sinner, because you will sin, but you are saint, redeemed. So now in the identity of Christ, as you know he loves you, even in your brokenness, God will get you to where you're supposed to go. Don't have to worry about that. You can sit down on a plane and go, you know what, God, if it's my time, it's my time. But you know what, you love me so much, I am going to get to where you want me to be. And here's the realities I want to share with you, because Paul experiences this. 
And what you need to understand is living this kind of confident life in your identity as a son or daughter where you're loved by God and he has called you for a purpose and that he will get you where you're supposed to be, it is, it is all about just kind of living in the reality of these truths. And the very first truth that we're going to see as Paul begins to kind of work through this is that you don't need to live in fear of anyone. Okay? You don't need to live in fear of anyone. In fact, Acts chapter 23, verses 12 through 15, let's read this story. It says that the next morning, a group of Jews got together and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. Paul had been taken out. They wanted to rip him apart. The commander brings him in. Paul has this appearance with Jesus. But here's what's going on. Here's what Luke tells us going on in this book of Acts. He says they were more than, there were more than 40 of them in the conspiracy. They went to the leading priests and elders and told them, we have bound ourselves with an oath to eat nothing until we have killed Paul. Now, recognize, this is an oath that is, that is greater than the Jewish Nazarite oath. This is actually a pagan oath, which is one that's it's taken to call upon a curse on somebody. And so they say, so you and I, you and the high council should ask the commander to bring Paul back to the council again. So the guys come to the Sanhedrin, they say, we've taken an oath, we're going to do this, we want to kill Paul, we won't eat anything, we're going to starve ourselves till we do. And just here's the plan, tell the commander you want him to bring him back to the council, pretend you want to examine his case more fully and we will kill him on the way. Just look at the threats and intimidation that you find there. What's interesting is this 40, the, the word that's used in here that for the oath refers often to, in fact, there's a group of people, especially around this time of Felix when he was governing, who were called the, the Sicarii. They were called men of the daggers. They were the extreme zealots. But they had, by this point, become basically hitmen. Josephus, he reports this about it. It's just during Felix's governance, people routinely hired the Sicarii the dagger men is what it means, because they would walk around with a dagger underneath their cloak. And, and they would routinely hire them to do his work and their work. One commentator actually says this about it. He says, having weapons concealed, mingling themselves among the multitude, they would slew certain of their own enemies and were subservient to other men for money. They slew others, not only in the remote parts of the city, but in the temple itself also. For they had the boldness to murder men there without thinking of the impiety of which they were guilty. And I just go, think about this for a second. These are people who could care less if they were even in the temple area. They're coming to the highest court of the Jews who represent the faith of the Jews and they're making a deal with them. Now, I got to tell you, Paul is in this place, and he's told by Jesus, you don't need to fear anyone. You don't need to fear their intimidation. You don't need to fear their threats. You don't need to fear the fact that they're going to starve to try and kill you. Because you're going to get to where you're supposed to be. You don't need to fear anybody. And so I encourage you, as you think about that for yourself, you don't, you don't, need, to, you don't need to fear anybody. God will get you where he wants you to be. There's a verse of scripture that Luke, the same author in his gospel, he says in Luke chapter 4, verses 28 through 30, Jesus has just given his first message in his hometown, and he's just preached, he's just taught, and the people are upset because he's claiming to be the Messiah. 
And it says when they heard this, the people in the synagogue were furious. They were jumping up and they mobbed him. And they forced him to the edge of the hills. Because Nazareth was kind of next to this kind of large mountainous area on this hill. And, and they jumped up. They mobbed him, forced him to the edge of the hill on which the town was built. And they intended to push him over the cliff. But here's an interesting thing. Because Luke doesn't get into the details any more than he says. But he passed right through the crowd and went on his way. More than likely what happened is somehow either Jesus said something. And they started to fight against him among themselves. And all of a sudden for some reason God had given Jesus in that moment the ability to just go. You know what? You guys have your own fight and I'm gone. You don't need to fear the intimidation of anyone. And then the next thing as you go through here is, is I, I just say the th- next thing is you don't need to live with fear of others. But the other thing that you need to understand is you can sleep well every night. If you look at Acts chapter 23 and, and go back to verse 11, it, I wonder in some ways as, as the Lord appears to Paul, Paul sitting in this jail cell, I'm wondering if he's having a hard time falling asleep. And, and he just says, you know, I want you to rest up well. I've got a couple big days ahead of you. You don't need to worry and, 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 and let yourself be consumed with this. Let's listen to what it says here in this next verse. It says in the, in the next verses, 20, uh, verses 16 and 17, this. But Paul's nephew, so when all this stuff is going on, Paul's nephew, his sister's son, heard of their plan and went to the fortress and told Paul. Paul called for one of the Roman officers and said, take this young man to the commander. He has something important to tell them. I love these verses. What I love about this is that God is more informed than you think about your situation. Isn't that great? And sometimes God lets us know that he's informed about it. So in this situation, I love it. Here is Paul. Who knew Paul had a nephew who was in earshot of the plans that were being made? God did. And this nephew here comes to Paul. Paul tells him to tell the officer, and the officer tells him to, to, to go on and to share this with the commander. And so you, you have this, um, this sense of you can sleep really well because, Paul, I understand, and I am more informed than you think. You know, God's more informed right now of what's going on in your life, that he wants you to know that. He wants you to live as a, a son or a daughter. He wants you to know that you're loved. Here's one of the realities. You don't need to fear others, nor do you need to lose sleep. Right? He wants you to put your head down on your pillow and, and, and rest. He wants you to refuse to wrestle with your thoughts. And he wants you to put your trust in his care for you. There are scriptures all throughout the Bible that speak about this. This whole idea of how do you do that. Now, I have to say, it's not an easy thing, and it is a learned thing. Because I myself wrestle with this. In fact, I've gone through a number of nights where I've had that kind of, just my mind going. And it's, it, you know, you probably have the same thing. There's periods of time where all of a sudden your mind just starts to race. And, and, and your brain is made in such a way that you, you, be, you actually create a racetrack for those thoughts. And it can be different thoughts. It's just the same ruminating thoughts. There are um, um, professionals who will say, once you have thought about something three times, that's all you need to do. In fact, you now need to start training your mind to start 
creating some different paths, such as, as you thought about it three times, you go, okay, they make a plan of action that you're going to do, and you just choose, so here's the action that I'm going to take in that situation, okay? And then you don't worry about it anymore. And then you start to do this. You start to think, as Paul said, put your thoughts on things that are good and higher and, 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 and are lovely. So one of the things that you can begin to do instead of saying, I'm going to continue to circle around in my mind over here over and over and over again, because that will not allow you to sleep, and that is not how God wants you to live. Jesus even said, why do you worry? Look at the flowers, look at the birds. I want you to rest your mind. One of the ways you can rest your mind is by learning a scripture. I will myself will just rehearse in my mind Psalm 34. I'll extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. And I'll just take time and start thinking about things I can praise him about. Glorify the Lord with me. Let's exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all my fears. Those who um, trust him, their faces are radiant. And, and so I, I go through these, these, these scripture in my head, in my mind. I'm going to encourage you to lean into and to begin to grow into this and to recognize if you start ruminating about something, there are opportunities or ways. You can start to say, what triggers it? Help me understand, Jesus, what triggers this? And then help me be, oh, okay, if there's a plan that I've put in place, now I'm going to let it go and I'm going to start thinking thoughts about you. That's what Paul, I believe, would have to learn how to do to kind of create peace. Because God wants you to live in peace. He wants you to know that he loves you so much that you don't need to fear others and you can sleep well. And there's another thing is you kind of look at what's going on in this passage of scripture. It's not only he's talking about sleeping well, he, he talks about what I call looking up verses um, 18 through 21. He, he wants you to be confident of this truth that God is higher than whoever is higher than you. Okay. He's the highest ruler in the universe. And so if you look at verses 18 through 21, Paul has been, you know, tells the, his nephew to go um, tell the officer, the officer tells the commander, and he comes and says, so the officer did um, explaining, did the explaining. Paul, the prisoner, called me over and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. The commander took his hand, led him aside, and asked, What is it you want to tell me? Paul's nephew told him, Some Jews are going to ask you to bring Paul before the high council tomorrow, pretending they want to get some more information, but don't do it. There are more than 40 men hiding along the way, ready to ambush him. And they have vowed not to eat or drink anything until they have killed him. And they are ready now, just waiting for your consent. Don't let anyone know you told me this, the commander warned the young man. I love that. Part of me just laughs because here are these guys who are going to starve to death before they kill them. Well, they're not dumb. Often when they would take oaths of that, there was an escape clause that if it became impossible, you could eat again. Right? But I love this fact. He says, don't fear others. You know, I want you to sleep well. I want you to live in peace. I don't want my children wrestling with things that I'm going to care for them in. And then I want you to know this, that what your, your practice is to do this in that place is to look up. That's part of what you put your thoughts on, God. God, I'm going to just praise you. I'm going to put my thoughts on you. I'm going to trust this, that you are the highest one in the land. 
I, there's so many examples in scripture. I'm, I'm right now um, in a guys group that I've been leading with some other guys in the book of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah is this wonderful passage of scripture of a guy who has great leadership skills and gifts. He is the cupbearer to the king. He has this place of influence with the king. But one of the things you do as a cupbearer is you taste the wine. If the wine is poisoned, you're out. Don't have sometimes long-lived jobs. You know, so he must have someone. I'm guessing they have someone else taste it before he does. Right? And, and so he has news as he's off in Babylon, away from the city of Jerusalem. He hears news of the walls being down and the people living insecure and no protection. And he's burdened because he is, it's his people, even though it wasn't his fault or his sin. And he goes to the Lord in prayer and he has this incredible prayer in chapter one and he's praying, God, you've got to do something. And you know what happens after he prays? Nothing. Nothing. For four months. But I'm sure he's praying. He's continuing to bring this before the Lord. He continues to recognize that God has the king in his own hand. In fact, I think he knew this verse. Proverbs 21, verse 1. There's a verse that talks about the heart of the king. The heart of the king is in the hand of God. Like streams of river. He channels it wherever he wants to go. You get this picture of him praying. And then it says in chapter 2, four months later, he's before the king. His face is sad. And in his sadness, the king asks him, what is it? What's going on? Why would you have a sad face? Because if you had a sad face, you're never to make the king sad. It's not good for the guy's job. You're all about making him happy, right? That's what serving is. Hey, here's your wine. It's a good day. Are you doing well? He's sad. He can't, he, for some reason, he can't contain it. And he's there before the king. The king asks him what's going on. And it's, it's almost in scripture. It's like he breathes this prayer out because he's been praying this to God. Okay, God, now be with me. Here's my opportunity. Because he knows there is no one higher than his God who can change the king's heart. And in that day, Xerxes, Artaxerxes specifically, was known as a person who never changed. The law of the Medan Purds, it didn't change. You had to actually write a new law to change the law. You just couldn't rescind it. And he prays that out and he recognized the truth. So let's play this for a second. Who's higher then the situation, circumstance you're in, or the person that may be controlling that. Okay, this is kind of a little, let's play who's higher. Your boss or God? How about um, some of you guys, in, in, your teacher or God? Your coach or God? The CEO of the company? Let's play who's higher, the president, the chancellor, the prime minister, the USA, China, Russia. You know what? We are to do our best and live as civil servants to to, to what we can in this country. But here's the ultimate reality. Folks, don't live in fear. I don't care what's happening even politically. God is still in control. There's no one higher. So Paul's in there and he's not fearing anyone. He's in this place where he's, he's, he's learning how to live in peace and sleep well every night because he knows he needs to rest. And he's now continually looking up to God. And I love the fourth thing about this is at a certain point, 
we're told that, that, that we should all live with a kind of faith that expects more. Expects more than what you even think. God loves you. You are his son. You are his daughter. You are his child. He loves you with an un, an everlasting love. An everlasting, an unending love. Okay? And, and his love is so great for you, you can expect more. I, I, I just love this passage of scripture for this point. And when I read it all the time, I just, it always makes me kind of, um, smile. It, 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 those two words, expect more, are statements of faith that you will choose to live with. You have to choose to say, God, I believe you're the kind of God, you're the kind of father that looks at me and promises to me that I can expect more from you than I expect even of myself in this situation. Listen to these verses, 22 through 30. Then the commander called two of the officers and ordered this. Here's the tremendous force of protective love that God has for Paul. Here's the author writing the story. Get 200 soldiers ready to leave for Caesarea at 9 o'clock tonight. And take 200 spearmen and 70 mounted troops. Provide horses for Paul to ride and get him safely to Governor Felix. Then he wrote this letter to the governor from Claudius Lysias to the His Excellency Governor Felix. Greetings. The man, this man was seized by some Jews and they were about to kill him when I arrived with the troops. And when I learned that he was a Roman citizen, I removed him to safety. Then I took him to their high council to try to learn the basis of the accusations against him. I soon discovered the charge was something regarding their religious law, certainly nothing worthy of imprisonment or death. But when I was informed of a plot to kill him, I immediately sent him to you, and I've told his accusers to bring their charges before you. I am guessing that Paul was not expecting more. I'm guessing he was hoping for about three or four guards, maybe maybe a few more, maybe a few mounted guards on horses, and maybe maybe a horse for himself, but maybe not. But then maybe his Roman citizenship would, would allow him to get one horse. Did you notice it said horses? This commander was so controlled by God in this sense that you look at what he did, and, and I'm just amazed at this. It, it tells us that he put 200 soldiers, get 200 soldiers ready to leave. And then in a stealthy way, at 9 p.m. at night, they're going to sneak out with 200 and 400 or how many soldiers, and, and also take 200 spearmen. They're kind of like Marines, spearmen were. 70 mounted troops. Now you're into the Navy SEALs. Um, And I think this is so cool. And not just one horse in case Paul has to get away, but a couple mounts just in case his one horse gets tired and he's got more. That's against 40 people who made a vow. I'm starving myself till I kill that guy. When you start to look up to God, I don't care what your circumstances are right now. And they may be painful. And we're going to talk about why God may be, have these painful. And they may not be, turn out the way you want it in the very next step. But here's the, here's the truth. You can expect more. It is a statement of faith that your Father in heaven deeply loves you. And he will bring you to where you're supposed to be. And he will get there you in a way that you will actually enjoy more than you would have thought. 
And then, and then this last part. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. The last one is just a simple statement of, you'll arrive. You'll get where God wants you to be. Listen to verse 31 through 35. So after, so the officer did explain, Paul, the prisoner, called me over and asked me to bring this young man to become, um, where am I at here? Now, so the commander took his hand, led him aside, and asked him, what did you want? And he said, so that night, as, as ordered, the soldiers took Paul as far as Antipatris, and they returned to the fortress the next morning. And while the mounted troops took him on to Caesarea, and when they arrived in Caesarea, they presented Paul and the letter to the governor Felix. And he read it and then asked Paul, what province is he from? Cecilia, Paul answered. I will hear your case myself when your accusers arrive. And the governor said to him, and the governor ordered him kept in prison at Herod's headquarters. You will arrive. Paul arrived. He actually didn't just arrive there, but he arrived all the way to Rome. Here's what I want you to understand. Don't focus merely on your next step, what's external. Paul, it wasn't just getting to Caesarea. God was going to get him to Rome. What I want to share with you is, you may be in circumstances right now. What I want you to do is, don't try and box in what you think that next step should look like. You may have a clear picture and God may just have given that to you. But I would encourage you to focus on a different destination because this is what God is going to bring each and every one of us to. He's going to produce the character of Jesus in you through this. That's your next step. Quit looking at the external. Look up to God. And let him start to do an internal work within you. I'm going to ask you to stand. We're going to reprise this song. If you guys want to start playing, I just want to talk just a little bit more about this. And and what I want you to understand is, I just wrote this down this morning. I give stuff all the time to Sarah on the slide, so she's always trying to keep up with me. I just want you to live confidently in God's love. If I was to resum all these things in some do nots, do not, do not live intimidated. If you're in a situation where you are being threatened and intimidated, um, you have courses of actions you should take. If you're being abused, you need to take courses of action. God will support you in that. Whether it be a counselor or an HR department, God is going to call you not to live in that. Where Paul was at, he was totally in a position where he had to trust God. And he may be calling you in that place. Do not be consumed with worry. Man, God wants you to live in peace. And I want you to also think about this. Do not think you're trapped. That's the idea of looking up. There is someone higher who looks over your situation. You are never trapped. Let God bring whatever those opportunities are in his time and in his way to you. And then I also want you to not adopt a scarcity mindset. Well, I guess I'm going to get, maybe I'll walk or I'll get one horse. And God's going, no, I got so much more for you. My provision is so much greater than you could ever imagine, ever ask for. And then do not focus merely on this next step, but focus on the destination. That destination is the character. It's what you will bring to God someday is this mature faith that begins to become the strong muscle through time who has learned to hold on to the hand of God's love.